Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message today entitled, Questioning Jesus' Integrity, from Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26. We would never think about questioning Jesus' integrity. If there is anyone who can be said to have integrity, it is Jesus. And that's true in all matters. Here in Luke 20, however, we find a group of people bent on challenging his integrity when it comes to money. This makes me want to take inventory of myself. Am I as honest in my financial dealings as I should be? Listen to what Jesus has to say about that. Here's Pastor Tim. Thank you, Kathy. I invite you to take your Bible tonight and turn with me back to the Luke chapter number 20. We've returned to our verse-by-verse study through this particular gospel, and we find ourselves in chapter number 20. We looked at it uh, briefly, the first part of that, last week, and saw where a group of Pharisees, specifically, they were chief priests and scribes and elders that had gathered together to question Jesus on his authority. We made mention last week that chapter 20 is full of questions. But they're not questions that seek answers, they are questions that seek arguments. And they have argued with Jesus, confronting him, using that word, about his authority and challenging him on that. For 19 verses that passage goes on and and ends up with them not making any headway whatsoever. You'd think then that they would turn tail and run, but they don't. Instead, tonight, we come to verse number 20, and we find that there are a group of Herodians who have gathered themselves together with the Pharisees to once again question Jesus. But this time, it's not over the issue of authority. It's over the issue of integrity. If if it's hard to imagine somebody challenging Jesus' authority, imagine how hard it is to challenge him on his integrity. Ever since he was a little boy, he hasn't done anything wrong. You know, he never got fussed at. He, he has lived the perfect life. If there's anybody who, who, they, who anybody should look at and say, well, that is definitely a man of integrity, it would certainly be Jesus. But the point of their attack is specific. It's not about his teaching or stories. It's about finances. So it's interesting, isn't it, that today we were talking about finances this morning, the, those financial decisions, and now we see the Herodians and the Pharisees questioning Jesus on this specific issue. It reminds me of this. When we are looked at in this world, our integrity soon certainly be questioned. They may question us on our words about how truthful we are, But oftentimes they can uh, question us as to our integrity concerning our finances. Are we really being honest when it comes to money? Not just now the individual person or the Christian, but the church. So some will come and they'll say, well, when I go to church, why does the preacher preach on tithing all the time? You know? Every time I go, he talks about money, which tells me, number one, they don't go very often, you know. They just happen, God happens to hit them every time they come, you know. 
But there's a, there, there is a wondering sometimes about those who wonder, is the church really doing with those dollars what they ought to do? One of the reasons why that question comes in is because we have churches that have not done what they ought to do with the offerings that have been given. We've seen preachers get rich off of the backs of the offerings of people. You can already tell that's not so here. <laughs> you know, there comes a point, though, of being able to look at my church and how I give and how it is structured. And can I trust those people to do with that offering what they ought to do? In Jesus' day and in this particular instance, the question about his integrity does indeed concern finances, but it's specifically not so much about church as it is about civil life. You'll see that as we go into this point. Their port of attack is his finances, and there's some things I want you to see in this passage. So, big number one, and then there'll be a big number two. Big number one, their mission was to convict him. These Herodians that have gathered together, they want to convict Jesus this time. The last time, earlier in the chapter, all they wanted was his concession. They wanted him to stop. They wanted him to admit that he did not have the authority that he claimed to have or that he was showing that he really did have. They're not looking for concession anymore. They're looking for conviction. A civil court conviction. We're going to talk a little bit more in a minute about the Herodians, but for the most part, they are a political party. Whereas the Pharisees concern themselves primarily with religious affairs, the Herodians are primarily concerned with civic affairs, with political affairs. And they see Jesus as a political opponent. And they want him convicted in a courtroom. Now, I don't want to get overly political in our, in our day and in our immediate circumstances. But there's some things in this passage that it seems like some in our, uh, in our world today have taken a, taken a note out of this playbook and tried to play that against a former president. You begin to see a lot of similarities in this particular passage for the way that they deal with him. They want Jesus to be convicted by a Roman court, not just a not just a Israeli court or Hebrew court. I mean that would that would be okay, but it wouldn't be enough for the Herodians. They want it to go all the way to the top, and so they have prepared this well thought out. At least they think it is a well thought out, planned, covert attack on Jesus. Let's look at it together. Skip down with me to verse number 20. I want you to see, first of all, they used a watchful pretense. They used a watchful pretense. The Bible says, so they watched him. And they sent spies who pretended to be righteous. 
So all of these times, it's, I mean, it's, this is not just a one-time event, a one-time occurrence. This is not just a, you know, the, the Pharisees' plan to question Jesus and to confront him didn't work, so now let's try plan B. They've been working on plan B on the side for a long time. They've been watching him. They've been listening to him. And what they feel like they can do is to trap him somehow in his words. And so they have sent spies. They've sent people who pretend to be believers, who pretend to be followers, who pretend to be interested, maybe potential converts, to go to these places where Jesus speaks, to, to, to walk around with him in those times that are informal and sit in class when his teaching is more formal. They certainly have gathered here at the temple. Remember, this is the final week of Jesus' earthly life. We're dealing with Tuesday of that week. Jesus has gone in and he's upturned those tables on Monday. And yet on Tuesday, he's right back in the same spot, this time teaching truth. And the Bible says that they have sent spies who have pretended to be righteous. It's a pretense. It's a falsehood. They are pretending to be something that they're not. That's no fun, is it? To be around people who pretend to be something that they're really not. We like what you see is what you get. We, We like to know that the people that we deal with are who they say they are. Believe what they say they believe and act on that same belief. But be sure of this. Even if they don't belong to the party of the Herodians or belong to some other political party that you don't agree with, there are people who watch you. And sometimes you'll find people who watch you for the very same reasons that the Herodians are watching Jesus. That they might trap you. That leads us then to number two. Not only did they use a watchful pretense, they acted on a wicked purpose. They acted on a wicked purpose. What is that purpose? Look at the very next phrase. That they might seize on his words. That they might seize on his words. But for this reason, in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Let, let me stop and st- let me deal with that last phrase first. They're not any more convinced than the Pharisees are that Jesus has the authority that he claims to have. In fact, the Herodians would have been in agreement with the Pharisees in their questioning of Jesus, confronting him. By whose authority do you say these things? Who has given you this authority? He continues to use. The Herodians are a political party. They see only one legitimate authority in town, and that's the Roman government. They have allied themselves with Herod Antipas, Herod, Herod, that, that particular Herod that they want to see, that particular Herod that was given his place of power by the Romans. They, they want to see this occupying force become their government, to give them peace. 
Rome at one time had, had allowed peace really to prevail in that land. And even right now, they're enjoying peace to a degree. It's a forceful peace. It's a peace that comes under the thumb of somebody else. But the Herodians are willing to deal with that. By the way, it's interesting to me that the Herodians and the Pharisees have partnered together in this. Normal circumstances, they're not going to get along. The Pharisees hate the Romans, and they hate the occupation. And they are looking forward to a Messiah. They just think the Messiah is going to be a, a, a deliverer that is a political deliverer. So they don't see things like the Herodians see. So why have they come together? Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? They have found for themselves a common enemy. And this is their tactic. He says that they might seize on his words. Matthew tells the same story, and he uses the phrase, entangle him in his words. They're trying to lay, lay layers upon layers that Jesus might find himself trapped and have nowhere to go. Mark uses, tells the same story, and he uses the phrase, catch him in his words. In other words, they're laying a trap for him. They're listening for any misspoken word. They're looking for the slightest misstep. Anything that they can catch Jesus doing that might contradict something that he had said once before. Or contradict something that he had done once before. And if they can just do that, then they can, they can claim that he's not who he claims to be. And if they can show it come, come finances, then all the better for them. What's the purpose? To deliver him to the power and to the authority of the governor. The only authority that it is that they really, really begin to look after. Now, Herod. Herod and his father had already wanted to kill any upcoming messiahs or kings that might take his place. Trying to kill Jesus when he was just two years old. All the two-year-old babies and under, Herod had them slaughtered. And even Luke makes mention back in chapter number 13 of some Pharisees who, who did not agree with the Herodians at that time. And they came to Jesus and they said, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. We continue to see that over and over and over again. Yes, they want him convicted, but they're also looking forward to the sentencing. What they've not been able to do on their own and by themselves, they're hoping that the government can help, right? John doesn't make any, uh, he doesn't make any bones about uh, Jesus' enemies wanting to kill him. Listen to these verses. John chapter 5 and verse number 16. For this reason... The Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Then you recall that very next verse, he's going to say, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Listen to the very next verse. This is verse 18. 
Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, by the way, let me give you a little parenthesis here. When those Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door and they start knocking and they say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus isn't God. Why not take them to this passage? The Jews heard him say that he is God simply by equating his work with the Father's work. So much so that the Bible says all the more they wanted to kill him because he made himself equal with God. That John chapter 5 passage is a great one to be able to share with those folks who come to your door. But let's fast forward a couple of chapters to chapter number 7. The Bible says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. And then we find in that very same chapter, Jesus asking them point blank, Why do you seek to kill me? It's almost an answer to his own question. The very next chapter is he's in an argument with the Pharisees and he says, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Jesus is well aware that they have attempted to kill him at almost every turn throughout his public ministry. And now as we come to the end of Passion Week, where the week is going to somewhat end with Jesus' crucifixion, and them finally putting him to death. They've been trying to do that all along. Their plans and purposes for Jesus are wicked. Matthew uses that word when he tells this very same story that we read. He uses the word wicked. He says, but Jesus perceived their wickedness. What they're doing is not only ungodly, it is devilish what they want to do to Jesus. Pastor Tim invites you to join us tomorrow for the conclusion of his message, Questioning Jesus' Integrity, from Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.